Welcome. We're glad you've chosen to join with us for the FX podcast. Uh, we are in our series in Joshua called Inheritance, and this is week eight. You can go back and listen to previous series on our podcast, and we'll finish up um, the book of Joshua and then uh, start a new book in the fall. Um, as we've talked about before, we are in an inheritance battle. God has called us to know that if we know Him, that He gives us a great inheritance, and um, that someday He's going to bring His inheritance to us. Um, believers in Jesus find ourselves waiting like God's people were waiting in Joshua's time. God's people in the Old Testament, when we arrive in the book of Joshua, have been waiting 600 years for the promised inheritance that God gave to Abraham. They had actually lived 400 years in slavery, and they had just been wandering 40 years in a desert. They are clinging to a promised inheritance that most of the people that were wandering in the desert knew they wouldn't see in their lifetime. All of this time, they're still being told to be strong and courageous, and God was providing for them. And the question for us is, would we still believe and lead others to believe that Yahweh saves and His promised inheritance is true if we didn't receive the benefits ourselves? It was about getting others ready. And that's really the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of this story in Joshua, a generation that got the, the generation ready to go in and take the promised land, the inheritance that God gave. In Joshua 1.6, it's one of the theme verses. It says, To be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers and give them as an inheritance. So again, it's this land that was sworn. He's asking, Joshua's asking the people to stand up and be strong and courageous. This week, what we're going to look at is allotment. Allotment. There comes a point in inheritance where you find out who's been allotted or given what. That's what the word allotment means. And that's where we find ourselves in the story of Joshua. And when we get to, to chapter 12, they've been battling for seven years. They've, won, they've come into the promised land. They've miraculously crossed the Jordan River. They've seen God do miraculous battle wins for them. And, and, and they've been battling and, and inviting people to, to know the God of the universe, the Yahweh God. And now they're coming to the place where God is telling Joshua that he needs to now allot or give the portions of the land to the people as he commanded Moses to do uh, in the wilderness. And so now Joshua, we find in chapter 12, we drop in and, and that's where we're arriving in the story. And Joshua 12, 1, it says, The Israelites struck down the following kings of the land and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan to the east and from the Arnon Valley and to Mount Hermon, including the Arabah eastward. Moses and the Lord's servants, this is verse 6, and the Israelites struck them down, and Moses the Lord's servant gave the land as an inheritance to the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And so here they're talking about the fact that, that on the other side of the Jordan River, before they crossed, they had defeated inhabitants, and the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were going to receive that. So they've already received their land, but now they're getting ready to, to give the other tribes their land. Joshua 12, 7, it says, Joshua and the Israelites struck down the following kings of the land beyond the Jordan to the west. 
from Baal God in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which ascends towards Seir, Joshua gave their land as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel according to their allotments. According to their allotments. In other words, what God had said they would need. So, so Joshua is going to be drawing the boundaries so the tribes know what's theirs. What is it that they're supposed to, to have? And and he's trying to prevent them from fighting with each other so that the allotments are clear and it's and they know where to live. And remember, God had promised this to them. And you know, that's what causes problems even in our culture today is everybody's arguing about allotments. Who gets what and why? And I earned it. No, you didn't. And the whole nine yards. This has been a fight since the beginning, and the Israelites are actually going into the land to take the land because they had to to fight for the land that God told them to fight for. And you see, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll end up trying to get allotments, get inheritances for ourselves that God said we should never have or look to or want. And when we do that, we can walk down a dangerous, dangerous road, or we can prepare ourselves and obey and allow God to help us to, to bring what he wants for us. You know, and in the New Testament, no longer are we fighting for lands around us. God says we're fighting for the hearts of people. We'll look a little bit later in the story, but he tells us that our allotment as believers in Jesus Christ in Joshua, that's what Jesus means, Yahweh who saves, that's what the name means. We're saying, Jesus, you are the Savior and we're trusting you to come back again someday. So again, at best, we're wanderers in the wilderness as believers in Jesus Christ. And in reality, we probably are more like captives. We're held captives in these bodies of death that we're in, and we're captive in the world we are in until Jesus comes, the the new Joshua, to take us into the final promised land, the eternal promised land. In Joshua 13.1, we We continue, it says, Joshua was now old, getting on in years. And the Lord said to him, you have become old, getting on in years, but a great deal of the land remains to be possessed. I mean, that had to be kind of strange. God comes to you, hey, Joshua, you know, you're getting old, man. I hear people tell me that all the time. My kids will say things like, oh, dad, you're getting old. And and he reminds him, but Joshua, there's still a great deal of the land that remains to be possessed. Your job isn't finished, even though you're old, even though you're tired, even though you might think you're done, there's still work to be done. And God tells us that in the New Testament. He tells us that that there's still work to be done if there's still someone who doesn't know who Jesus is, if they've not heard about him, then there's still work to be done. If God hasn't come back, if Jesus hasn't come back, then he's being patient for us, his people, to get the work done of telling others about who God is. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. God's asking us to to believe the inheritance that he's given, that we possess, to live like we know we're going to have it, and to point other people to it. He goes on in verse 2 of chapter 13. He says, this is the land that remains, all the districts of the Philistines and the Geshurites, from the Sihor east of Egypt to the border of Ekron to the north, considered to be Canaanite territory. The five Philistine rulers of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, as well as the Avites in the south, all the land of the Canaanites from Af, Ara, of the Sidians to Aphek, 
and as far as the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites and all Lebanon east from Baal Gad beyond Mount Hermon to the entrance of Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrophoth, Miam, and the Sidonians. Why did I read all that? Well, because God's saying, look, Joshua, not only am I going to tell you there's still lands to be possessed, we're, I'm going to tell you exactly what they are because I want my people to know that where they need to go, what the next step is. And you see, God tells us that all the time. If we walk with him, he will continue to tell us and help us to, to show the next generation what isn't done and what they need to be doing. And so it's what's interesting about this list is the Philistines, that, that's who we see moving forward in the book of Judges and, and moving into beyond that. The Philistines were this thorn in the side of Israel because they never got rid of them. They never finished moving the Philistines out. They actually did the opposite. They used them, which we'll look at the dangers of that in just a moment. And the same with these other cities. They, they became these things that, that became thorns in the side of Israel because Israel grew comfortable. Once they got their allotment, they were like, well, hey, we got our allotment. And I mean, we could go fight. We could do what God wants us to do. We could, but you know, we're doing pretty well. We'll just get comfortable. And I'm telling you, that is so easy to do as a believer. It's easy to do as a pastor. It's easy to do as a church. It's to just sit back and say, hey, we're, we're doing pretty well and not keep pushing forward, understanding that until Jesus comes back, we have a job to do to tell people and to show people the glory of God. He was on in verse 13, and God promises Joshua, he says, look, I will drive them out before the Israelites. Only distribute the land as an inheritance for Israel as I have commanded you. Therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. And so God is like, look, I'm going to work with them. I'm going to drive this out before the Israelites. And the reality is, is God still hasn't done that. He did. He does it, but not fully yet, because the Israelites still have all these people living in the Israelite lands. And, and someday Jesus is going to come back and he's going to drive everyone out. And the only ones that are going to be with him are the ones that are his covenant people. He goes on in verse 13, it says, with the, other half, with the other half of the tribe, the Reubenites, the Gadites, had received the inheritance Moses gave them beyond the Jordan the east, just as Moses the Lord's servant had given them. Moses struck them down and drove them out. Verse 13, but the Israelites did not drive out the Gesherites, Machites. So Gesher and Machath live in Israel to this day. See, God had told them that they needed to to move these groups out because they would corrupt them. It's the same thing he tells us about sin. That he says, look, the new temple, the new place of worship is your heart, and I need you to drive out the things that are going to distract you. I need you to, to drive out the sin, and the things that aren't surrendered to me need to be driven out so that I can come and bring my fullness and my presence. It's the same for us in theory of, of what we're supposed to do, but so often we can grow so comfortable thinking to ourselves that, well, we're okay, we're, we're good, and it's all right, God understands. And we get comfortable, and we don't drive them out. We don't drive the sin and the mess out of our lives. Joshua 13, it goes on to say, he did not give any inheritance to the tribe of Levi. That's 
one of the 12 sons of Jacob's who, who are getting these tribes because he promised it to Abraham. Abraham promised, made sure that Isaac knew the promise. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob was the son that received the blessing. And as a result, Jacob had 12 sons. And now these 12 sons are being allotted the land. They have been fighting. They've been wandering the wilderness before this. And here they are. But the son, Levi, from the tribe of Levi, he did not give an inheritance to the tribe of Levi. This was its inheritance, just as he had promised, the offerings made by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the Levites don't get an inheritance like the other tribes do, an allotment. What happens is the Levites are given places within every tribe. They're they're given these places, cities, and they're giving, given the worship responsibilities so that they can be holding those around them accountable to the God of the universe, that, that they're kind of these outposts. That, that was the goal, and that they could be close so that the people could come and, and they could celebrate and worship together through the Levites. In verse 32 of chapter 13, it says, These were the portions... Moses gave them on the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan east of Jericho. But Moses did not give a portion to the tribe of Levi. The Lord, the God of Israel, was their inheritance just as he had promised them. Wow. See, God didn't give the Levites an inheritance of land. He gave them himself as their very inheritance. That that I want you to to know me, and I want you to make me known, just as he had promised them. See, that's the question for us. We have a lot of talk about blessing and inheritance and living in this country, and the question for us is, do do we just, just want a portion, or do we want the fullness of God? The Bible calls us a priesthood of believers. We'll look at that in a minute, that And in the New Testament, we're called priests, that God wants to call us into this relationship, not so we can get something here, but so that we can believe Him for the life we have here and know that there's something coming someday. See, this is what God told Moses that they're referring to in Joshua 13 and Deuteronomy 18. It says in Deuteronomy 18.1, the Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi, will have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They will eat the Lord's fire offerings. That is their inheritance. In other words, they get to to eat the offerings that all the people of Israel bring all year long um, to to offer up to God. Verse 2, it says, Although Levi has no inheritance among his brothers, the Lord is his inheritance as he promised. This is the priest's share from the people who offer a sacrifice, whether it's an ox, a sheep, or a goat. The priests are to be given the shoulder, jaw, and stomach. You are to be You are to give him the first fruits of your grain, your new wine and oil, and the first sheared wool of your flock. For Yahweh your God has chosen him and his sons from all your tribes to stand and minister in his name from now on. This was a truly unique inheritance for the Levites. God would be the focus of their service, the source of their sustenance, and the significance of their calling. Their inheritance would include some cities, some daily food, and a constant vocation. But it did not include the same type of land that the other tribes got. And the reason was because God was going to use the Levites to point his people to something greater, himself. 
And that's what God wants from us. He goes on in Deuteronomy 6 and says, When a Levite leaves one of your towns where he lives in, and Israel wants to go to the place the Lord chooses, he must serve in the name of Yahweh his God like all his fellow Levites who minister there in the presence of the Lord. They will eat equal portions besides what he has received from the sale of the family estate. In other words, even as the Levites travel, once you're a Levite, you can't not be a Levite. It's a covenant. It's a commitment. And it's a gift. It's not supposed to be seen as a burden. And so often in our Christian lives, when God calls us into this relationship with Him, we can tend to see it as a burden. It's just so hard to serve God. Oh, God's like, no, I'm, I'm so close to you and I want to use you. And it's such a privilege. And, and we should take that wherever we go, not look to get out of it. Not like, well, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. No, God says, man, I want you to know that I've chosen you, that I love you, and I want to use you. Here's what 1 Peter says about anybody who believes that Yahweh saves, believes in Jesus, who is the Messiah. Peter is writing, and he says in 1 Peter 2, 5, You yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then jump forward to to verse 8, and it says, they stumble because they disobey the message. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous night, light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that wage war against you. This is exactly what God says in the New Testament, a believer in Jesus Christ should act like. And if you read this passage again and go back and read it in 1 Peter 2, you see that it's a direct reference to the Levites, that God through Jesus on the cross has now opened up the priesthood to any that would commit to surrender their lives so that they could be used to proclaim God's glory. And that means we're not looking for an inheritance here. If God gives us one, if we can be a blessing to others, great. But that's not what we're striving for. We're striving to make sure that we're being built into a spiritual house so that when God returns someday, we can be a part of worshiping and knowing Him. In James 3.1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we, will, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's a seriousness to a relationship with God. There's a seriousness to embracing what it means to lead your life in submission to Jesus Christ, to, to lead and teach people even if it's only your own family. There's a responsibility to that. This shouldn't make us fear. It should make us understand that it's true, but it should give us an awe and a reverence, a thankfulness of heart that we get to do that. In Joshua 14.1, it goes on. It says, The Israelites received these portions, the Eleazar, the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the families of the Israelites' tribe gave to them the land of Canaan. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord commanded through Moses, for the nine and a half tribes. Remember, the nine and a half tribes, because the other tribes on the east side of the the other side of the Jordan still had their land already. Verse 3, because Moses had given the inheritance... Oh, wait. 
Um, yeah, Moses had given the inheritance to the two and a half tribes beyond the Jordan, but he gave no inheritance among them to the Levites. The descendants of Joseph became two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. No portion of the land was given to the Levites except cities to live in, along with pasture lands for their cattle and livestock. So the Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses, and they divided the land. In verse 16, we see this picked back up in verse 8. It says, This was the inheritance of the tribe of the descendants of Ephraim by their clans, together with the nine cities set apart for the descendants of Ephraim within the inheritance of the descendants of Manasseh. All these cities with their villages, but they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Ephraim to this day, but they are forced laborers. You see, this is a problem. They should not have done this. God didn't ask them to create forced laborers. God asked them to eliminate them. You see, when we use people, it typically comes back to haunt us. Right now, we are in the midst of chaos in our country, because even in the midst of a country that that tried to give credit to God, we used forced labor, slaves. We put people in slavery, and now, even hundreds of years later, they are rising up and they are crying out. And you know what? There's some validity to what they're saying. Has there really been repentance from that? I'm not saying restitution. I'm saying real repentance that we wept and mourned over this, or did we just fight a war and then move on and pretend like that fixed it when it didn't? It's the same way you see, because what happens is later the Canaanites become a thorn in the flesh for hundreds of years after this, because they are being used and want to fight back, and they're sick and tired of being used, and it causes a war. You see, we have to be careful that we treat people the way God asks us to treat them. That we see from His Word what He wants us to do and we do it well. Because if we don't, we'll end up using people and it will come back on us. In verse 17 of Joshua 1, and in verse or chapter 17, verse 1, it says, This was the allotment for the tribe of Manasseh as Joseph's firstborn. Gilead and Bashan came to Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, and their father Gilead, who was a man of war. So the allotment was for the rest of Manasseh's descendants by their clans, for the sons of Abiezer, Helik, Azrael, Shechem, Hefner, and Shemida. These are the male descendants of Manasseh, son of Joseph, by their clans. You see, you have to remember, it was always tracking the male descendants. You know, we are in a time where we're, ar- we're arguing about patriarchy. Listen, most of human history has been based on this idea of the patriarch, and passing down from sons. Even even in the Old Testament and even beyond that, other cultures, it was just a foreign concept to give credit to women. Why? Because they were used by men. They weren't valued. Now, in God's economy, God highly values women, and He asks men to lead and take responsibility, not to use that women are still loved and cherished by God. And when you go to verse 3 of chapter 17 of Joshua, we see an amazing radical thing in the history of this story. Verse 3, it says, Now, Zelophehad, son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons, only daughters. 
These are the names of his daughters, Mahala, Noah, Hagola, Milka, and Tiza. So here's a guy that's supposed to receive an inheritance, but it's not his fault. He couldn't bear a son. He had all these daughters. So what are you going to do when there are all these daughters and there's no son? Do you just give it to some other Israelite guy? Look at what it says. It goes on in verse 12 of Joshua 17. The descendants of Manasseh could not possess... I'm, I'm sorry, before we jump on. What ends up happening is God in verse 4 says that the, the women of chapter 17, they came before Eleazar the priest, Joshua's son and under the leaders, saying, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our male relatives. So they gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers in keeping with the Lord's instruction. As a result, 10 tracks fell to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Basham, which are beyond the Jordan, because Manasseh's daughters received an inheritance among his sons. The land of Gilead belonged to the rest of Manasseh's sons. That is huge. To, to give these daughters an inheritance, to, to go before and say, hey, what do we do? And God says, no, you're included. You're not separated. It wasn't your fault. See, I think God engineered this. God could have had this son of Manasseh have a boy, and this would be a mute point. It would never have been written down. But I think God in his sovereignty put this story here so he could show women that they are valuable to him. That even though he has a plan and a system that's established and he wants men to lead in a culture and he wants men to lay down their lives in a culture to care for others, not to use others or get things, he still has these moments where he shows that culture's broken and sometimes you don't get what you want and you ask and you pray and you seek God and and he comes through. It's exactly what happens here. God gives them an allotment. But there's a problem in the tribe of Manasseh. It goes on in verse 12 of 17. It says, The descendants of Manasseh could not possess these cities because the Canaanites were determined to stay in the land. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they imposed forced labor on the Canaanites, but did not drive them out completely. And again, they're going to have some big problems coming down the pipe because they didn't do what God said. They did the opposite and they used these people and these people and their descendants are going to be very upset that they were used. And they're going to be even more upset when they find out that in God's word, it said they should not have been used. And that's what we see in our culture today. People are understanding that the God of the Bible and what Christians do and say that we should be doing or said to do in the past, when those don't match up, there's frustration. We need to be people of God's instruction and book. We need to be very careful and not ignore things just because, well, it works out better for my benefit. We really need to be sure we drive out in us the things that aren't of God, the sin in our heart, the places that, that we use, that we keep, that that then end up putting us in bondage and forced labor in our heart. We need to drive them out so that we can pursue him. He goes on in verse 14 of 17. It says, Joshua's descendants said to Josh, or Joseph's descendants said to Joshua, why did you give us only one tribal allotment as an inheritance? We have many people because the Lord has been blessing us greatly. If you have so many people, Joshua replied to them, go to the forest and clear an area for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephium, because Ephraim's hill country is too small for you. 
But the descendants of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who inhabit the valley area have iron chariots, both at Beth Shehan with its towns and in the Jezreel Valley. So Joshua replied to Joseph's family, that is Ephraim and Manasseh, You have many people and great strength. You will not have just one allotment, because the hill country will be yours also. It is a forest. Clear it, and its outlying areas will be yours. You can only drive out you can, you can also drive out the Canaanites, even though they have iron chariots or in strong, are strong. I love this. They come to him and they say, hey, we don't have enough. You get this all the time where people are saying that it's not fair. We need more. I love what Joshua says. Joshua says here, okay, I can see that. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's this land, but you're going to have to fight for it. You have to work for it. I'm not just going to give you someone else's. You're going to have to to go to battle. You're going to have to clear it. You're going to have to till it. In other words, you say you want more, prove it. Prove that you're willing to step out and prove it not just by clearing the trees and everything else, but by fighting against those Canaanites that are going to try to take it back. See, that's what we have to do. We have to fight against the enemies of darkness because he wants to take back our love, our joy, our peace, our patience, our kindness, our goodness, our faithfulness, our gentleness, and our self-control. Satan wants to take those things back and make us miserable. And God says, no, I want to use you to clear the land, to fight the battles I have for you so that you can go out and multiply and make me known. This is such a picture of the Great Commission. God says, I give you permission to go fight and claim the land. In Joshua 18, 8, uh, 18.1, it says, The entire Israelite community assembled at Shiloh, where it set up the tent of meeting there. The land had been subdued by them. Seven tribes among the Israelites were, were left who had not divided up their inheritance. So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you delay in going out to take possession of the land that the Lord your God, your fathers, gave you? Appoint for yourselves three men from each tribe, and I will send them out. They are to go and to survey the land, write a description of it for the purpose of their inheritance, and return to me. Then they are to divide it, to divide it into seven portions. I love this. Again, Joshua's looking at these seven tribes. The others have gotten their inheritance, and he's like, you know that you have an inheritance. Why are you waiting on me to tell you what to do? Why aren't you going out there and and fighting for God and making Him known? Why are you delaying to take what God said is yours and He would give you? And so Joshua says, you know what? I'm going to appoint some guys to go look at it and then survey it so that each tribe knows his responsibility in the fight. Then it's saying, saying, oh, all that land out there, nope, these are your responsibilities. You know, it's the same with us that God gives us gifts and abilities and occupations and things. And he says, here's the fight I'm giving you. Here's where you're going. Here's the people you're going to have to fight against and the people you're going to fight with. This is the same thing God does. And he says, I want you to go look and then I want you to return to me. And I want you to hear from me what I'm telling you. He goes on in verse seven, it says, but the Levites among you do not get a portion. That's what we talked about before, because their inheritance is the priesthood of the Lord. Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had taken their inheritance beyond the Jordan to the east, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave them. Verse 8 of 18, as the men prepared to go, Joshua commanded them to write down a description of the land, saying, go and survey the land, write a description of it, and return it to me. I will then cast lots for you here in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. So the men left. 
went through the land and described it by towns in a document of seven sections. They returned to Joshua at the camp and Shiloh. Joshua cast lots for them at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord, where he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their divisions. Casting lots is almost like rolling the dice, like rolling dice to see what you get. And these people trusted God to work through that and through Joshua because of Joshua's faithfulness and God's faithfulness to them. I don't know that many of us would would do that today. I don't know that it's wise just to cast lots, but he had already told them the land was theirs. This was to get their specific portion. And once the the lot was cast, they don't complain. They just say, okay, we'll go there. That's what we'll do. Man, that's some incredible faith initially. In Joshua 21, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, Tell the Israelites, Select your cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that the person who kills someone unintentionally or accidentally may flee there. These will be your refuge from the avenger of blood. When someone flees to one of these cities, stands at the entrance of the city gate, and states his case before the elders of that city, they are to bring him into the city and give him a place to live among them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not hand the one who committed manslaughter over to him, for he killed his neighbor accidentally and did not hate him beforehand. This is an incredible justice system. That God says, look, on the most egregious thing that could cost you your life, because Capital punishment was a real thing back in these days. And and God said it was necessary at times. God is saying, look, I'm giving you a city of refuge. I'm giving you a place that you can go to and that you can hear your case. Your case can be heard and be decided on. And that there's not this revenge killing going on that that you killed my, so I kill you, and it just keeps going back and forth. No, God says, I'm going to appoint these cities, and I'm going to put the Levites in these cities, and they're going to be the ones that make these judgments and try to help people know how to navigate hard things in relationships. And you see, that's what we're called to do as priests today. We're to know the Word and to help navigate our own relationship with God, the relationships around us, the relationships beyond us, to him. And notice here it says that the avenger of blood pursues him, that it has to be that he killed his neighbor accidentally and did not hate him beforehand. So that's one of the things that popped up on this, the killing of George Floyd, is did the police officer know him? We know they worked together, but there's suspicions that he knew him. I was talking to a police officer and he said when he first saw the video, he looked and he said, that police officer has something against that guy. They have a previous relationship for the hatred that he saw happening and that my the guy that was I was talking to condemned. You see, he didn't do it accidentally. That was on purpose because he hated him beforehand. And God says, that's egregious. And we need to be careful because if we're hating people, if we're saying evil things about people and then we accidentally hurt them or kill someone, it's going to look like we did it on purpose. So we shouldn't have hate in our heart. We should have compassion and love. And if a life has to be taken, it should break us, not make us celebrate. 
And so God says, look, I know that accidents happen, things happen, and I want to provide a way for mercy and grace. In Joshua 26, it says, He is to stay until in that city until he stands trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest serving at that time. Then the one who committed manslaughter may return home to his own city from which he left. So the guy would have to stay in the city of refuge. In other words, he'd have to run to that city, leave everything behind, and find refuge in that city and the protection of the high priest. And then once the high priest died, he was set free. This is such a picture of the gospel, that God invites us in to his world. He invites us into his temple, into his city, into a relationship with him. And he says, I'm going to stand trial, you stand trial, and I'm going to pay the penalty And you know what? Then I'm going to die as your high priest so you can be set free. See, this is a picture of what Jesus does for us. And it's amazing because most of us, we're really honest, we didn't hurt God accidentally. We did it on purpose. And yet God wants to forgive. He'll forgive over and over as long as we're looking to Him. Then he goes on in verse 9 of chapter 20. These are the cities appointed for all the Israelites and foreigners among them, so that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there and not die at the hand of the avenger of blood until he stands before the assembly. And so there was a sense of them bringing him before an assembled group of people to make a decision to investigate. And it says that he couldn't be touched. And it says that these cities are going to be all over the empire in each tribe so that there's a place for people to go. You see, that's our God. He's always looking to have mercy on those who have done terrible things. He's looking to to stand trial, to declare what is true and right without ignoring it, but providing a way for us to cry out to Him. In Joshua 21.1, it says, The heads of the Levite families approached Eleazar the the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the families of the Israelites' tribes. At Shiloh in the land of Canaan, they told him, The Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to live in with their pasture lands for our livestock. So the Israelites, by the Lord's command, gave the Levites these cities with their pasture lands from their inheritance. The Israelites gave these cities with their pasture lands around them to the Levites by lot, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. So again, we see this allotment of cities to the to Levites. They're the ones that are going to have to make the judgments. They're the ones that are going to have to know how to care for those that have ruined their lives and wrecked their lives and are in their city in repentance. And they're going to have to find a way to, to help them. So that's what we're called to. That's our allotment as New Testament believers. In chapter 21, it goes on to say in verse 41, within the Israelite possession, there were 48 cities in all with their pasture lands for the Levites. Each of these cities had its own surrounding pasture lands. This was true for all the cities. You see, that's what the modern church is, is that we live in these counties and in these states and in this nation. And we might have a building or we might have our space and some pasture land around, but, but that's all we really get in this life because And we should be able to lay it all down because God has greener pastures for us, so to speak, in relationship with Him. And He calls us to the world and the people live in cities that our allotment is to go out, not to just stay put. 
It goes on in verse 43 of 21. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them, the re- gave them rest on every side, according to all he had sworn to their fathers. None of their enemies were able to stand against them, for the Lord handed over all their enemies to them. None of the good promises of the Lord the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. Man, what a gift. That God said, look, I'm going to fulfill my part, but there's still more for you to do. There's still other lands, the Canaanites and other lands that you're going to have to take. He looks and he says, none of the good promises I've made, I've kept from you. I, I have now completed them and everything was fulfilled. There should have been no, there should have been no complaints from the Israelites after this. But as we know, as the story continues, they do complain. And they don't see it as God fulfilling His promises, but they think they, they need to, to get some more promises for themselves. And they don't believe God's fully fulfilled it. They don't believe in the allotment He's given that costs them dearly. You see, this is our God He's the one that hands over our enemies. He's the one that that takes care of our sin, and the sin is the enemy of our hearts. He's the one that wants us to remember His good promises that He's made and that they'll never fail. Everything is fulfilled by Him. And that's what we know in the New Testament, that Jesus is the one that fulfills everything. He pays the penalty. He will give us new bodies. He will be the one that gives us all that we long for. Because he, like the Levites, if we are Levites, if we are a priesthood, a holy calling, as Peter says, then we have been given such precious promises to serve him. In Revelation 21, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them, and they will be their God. There is coming a day when we will receive an allotment, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, And God says, for those that know him, he is coming and he is going to dwell with us. He's going to give us a place for us to dwell in so that he can dwell with us an allotment. He goes on in verse 5 of Revelation 21 and says, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. Man, that's an encouragement because we need new new things because this world is breaking down. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. Just like before, God said everything was fulfilled. Jesus says, it is done or it is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega. Those are the two letters, beginning and end letters of the Greek alphabet. I'm the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God. That's what he told the Levites. I will be your inheritance, and he will be my son. Man, what a beautiful terminology that God says he desires for us to see ourselves as his sons and daughters. But in verse 8, he says, The cowards, unbelievers, vile murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. 
their share will be in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, which is the second death. I can tell you that there is an allotment coming, an inherited allotment coming for you. It will either be you stand before God and you have inherited the sins of the world and they are on you and God has to separate himself from you and punish you. Or it will be that you have dealt with your sin by confessing it to Jesus. You have asked him to come in and to take those things away so you can experience the full allotment that he has for you. See, that's what God wants. He doesn't want us to be cowards and unbelievers. He wants us to be believers in him. And if we do that, we can know. We can know with assurance that he is our allotment, that there is a place in heaven set aside for us 100%, and that he is coming for us. He's going to make things new. And so we can serve him regardless of the consequences and pain and hard times, because we know the truth of the Joshua of of the covenant and the truth of revelation that God will always fulfill his word. Let me ask you, what allotment will you receive when you have to stand before God one day, when your time is up and you've fought the fight and it's not seven years, but maybe 70 years that you've been living and you, you're ready for the allotment. Are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to hear him? Well done, good and faithful servant, because you've accepted my son and served and now enter your rest. Or does that day panic you a little bit? Because you're not sure what's going to happen when you have to stand before the God of the universe. I'm telling you, he wants you to know him. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you this morning. And I pray that there's anyone out there who has not embraced your inheritance that has been provided through the Joshua, Jesus, Yahweh, who saves Messiah, who paid the penalty for us to lead us into a new promised land, a relationship of the heart, a temple of the heart, not a physical temple that we don't have an inheritance anywhere in this land that we can take with us. It's all going to be burned away, and we are going to have an inheritance in you, and you're going to come back. And so, Father, if anyone doesn't know that, I pray today would be the day that they ask you to come into their life, and they would ask you, they would tell you that they want to know you, like the Levites were to be the ones that got to know you. And for those of us who know you, may we find joy joy in our allotment. And may our lives look different. And instead of allowing the Canaanites to exist in our heart, instead of playing with the forced labor and treating people how we want to be treated, we would go to your word and we would surrender our wills for yours to do what you call us to do in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. I pray that you'll see how good God is this week. I pray that you would understand the inheritance that he will have one day when he comes back. And I pray that you would be about helping others know that there is an inheritance that they can have through a relationship with him. Because if you're a believer in Jesus, he calls you a priest. And it was the priest's job to not have an inheritance on this side of eternity, but to truly look for an inheritance that would come one day. Thanks for joining us. See you later.